0: Mit Jackson My name is Jackson Heyman, and this is the most German I've used since graduating high school. Finally put it to use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be a very different episode, and I'm not meaning because I just introed it in German. Um... Rather than talking about a storyline or a specific writer's run on a character, we are exploring a character themselves. We are going to talk about their origins, famous stories, what you should be reading that features them, and, you know, maybe this character has some movie and TV appearances. We'll be evaluating those as well. And for this first episode, I am joined by one of... I, My best friend, um, my best friend, my business partner, co-founder of Mythonomica Productions, Beck Mank. Hi. (laughs) Hi.
1: I I probably shouldn't be doing visual gags. That's poor. That's bad audio.
0: (laughs) Beck just leaned fully into their mic setup at the moment. Um, will we cut this out? Who knows? Um... Hi, Beck. How are you? You know, I'm good. I'm good. Uh,
1: I've been thinking about this episode for the last couple days and been like, oh, yeah, I should look stuff up ahead of time and then fully not. So that's where we're at. (laughs) I have
0: five pages of notes to talk about our character that we're discussing. And who are we discussing today? Well, dear listeners, we are discussing the bamfing blue swashbuckler himself, Kurt Wagner, Nightcrawler of the X-Men now this is a what character. a hottie <laughs> yeah yeah um before we get more into the character um beck uh why don't you tell us a bit about yourself um your experience with comics, um, specifically your experience with the X-Men, since that's what we're going to be talking about.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, hi, I'm Beck Menck. I'm a Milwaukee-based uh, theater artist, educator, and playwright. Uh, I'm the other founder of Mythonomica Productions and one of the lead writers at Soundbite Theater. And Jackson's doing a funny little dance. <laughs> so I'll let you all fill in in your imagination what Jackson doing a funny little dance looks like. <laughs> Um, so I'm someone who I definitely consider myself like very steeped in like geek culture and nerd culture. Um, I'm I cosplay. I go to cons. I live on the internet. It, but I don't read a lot of comics directly. And I think that's a very common experience of getting very intimidated by comics and changing storylines and timelines and going nope, nope, can't do it. So. Um, there have been points, though, where I was like, eh, screw it, I'll do it anyway, and just read a bunch of, like, out of order, whatever the library had currently checked in X-Men comics. Yeah. Again, I think that's a pretty common, like, late 2000s kid experience, which is like, eh, we'll just, we'll make it work.
0: mm mm-hmm. I, Yeah. I think, like, I remember summer, it's like, going on, a, going on my bike to the library, just, like, picking out a stack, um, bringing it home. Um, not returning it for like three weeks, just devouring everything. I didn't care what was going on in the continuity at the time. I just wanted to read these stories.
1: Yeah, same, same. So like, I remember reading one, it was like, it, it was like very edgy. Like, they like, Kurt wasn't even in this one. Like this had nothing to do with um, Nightcrawler. Like, I don't even know where in the continuity it was set up, but like, I just remember very specifically a comic panel of Professor Xavier elevate lev- the eleva- up, up, down um, of Professor Xavier levitating his chair to go up a flight of stairs and that's it that's whole, uh, that's all I remember from that comic that and um, Beast and Storm were dating and then they broke up
0: halfway through the comic. This is a piece of continuity I don't think e- I'm even familiar with. Probably this, Yeah, like... also
1: Wolverine was new to the team and had been specifically was like double agenting and was there to kill
0: Professor X. Oh, you know what I think this is? What? I think this is the ultimate universe. Probably, uh, probably. Oh, besides Miles Morales, who is an amazing character, his universe, his storylines, the best thing to come out of the ultimate universe, just the whole spider, se- the spider titles of... The Ultimate Comics. Those were the best things. Everything else was bad. Reed Richards was even worse there. Um, you had Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. They were siblings, but they loved each other in a way that I don't really want to talk about. Not right now. Probably never. Where were we? We were talking about Nightcrawler.
1: Yeah, so... Reading random stuff from the library aside, um, my main exposure to Nightcrawler are the X-Men cartoons, all of them. It's like I got the classic X-Men one from like the nineties. I've, I, someone who doesn't, I don't really like rewatch stuff a lot. I honestly avoid it. So I have like space and time for new stuff, but I have seen X-Men Evolution in its entirety at least three times, if not more.
0: (laughs) It is probably the best X-Men cartoon. And- Oh yeah, definitely. I. To be fair, I think that that our opinions on that are specifically because of it was coming out when we were very young and impressionable, and I'm sure if we had both been born in the 90s, we would be saying the same thing about the 90s series. Maybe if we had been born a little more down the line, we'd be saying the same thing about Wolverine and the X-Men, but I think it it's one of those perfect place, perfect time sorts of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I should say also, I really do like Wolverine and the X-Men too. Like, if I'm going to rank, yeah, I like all the X-Men cartoons, but if I'm going to rank them, I'm going to go Evolution, Wolverine and the X-Men, classic Mm X-Men. I would probably say the same thing. Yeah. I think part of why X-Men Evolution hit so hard was because, you know, we were kids and like young teens watching this and they made most of the characters teens again, which X-Men had long since moved away from with like their like original or like
0: core mutants being uh, children. Yes. And I, I, I think bringing it back to the school is something a lot of X-Men writers have done and have tried to do in astoundingly different ways. But I think there's something very special about like this core cast of characters being teens again and getting all of that teen soap opera y drama, but also mutants. Right, sexy teen murder drama. Exactly, the <laughs> Riverdale for the X Men. Exactly, way better lit though. Way better lit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and written. Oh, way better we, don't written. To, we don't have time to talk about the writing on uh, the lighting on Riverdale.
1: Hey, if anyone out here, out there wants to do um, Archie Comics, hit us up. Our email is mythonomicaproductions
0: at gmail.com. Oh, no, don't, don't put that out there. Don't put that out there.
1: Um, Not, neither of us have read Archie Comics. You got to do all the heavy lifting.
0: Yeah, Um, I have read one Archie Comics thing, and it was The Zombie Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, that tracks for you. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. So let's dive into the meat of this episode starting with um the crea- the general information behind nightcrawler now nightcrawler or kurt wagner is a german mutant um his powers and abilities include um enhanced agility and teleportation but his most striking mutation is his appearance it's the dark blue fur the devil forked tail yellow eyes the whole like demonic appearance also, technically, just like technically,
1: he's barbarian. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, like I don't know if that's going to matter a ton to our audience, but I don't. Just I'm just covering our ass for in the future if anyone from Germany is listening and and just
0: and pulls that out. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, but the character itself, uh, himself, he was created by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum for Giant Size X Men Number One. Now this was the relaunch in 1975 that basically brought the X-Men back to the forefront of Marvel. They were sort of behind sort of lacking in popularity throughout the late 60s early 70s and then these two young writers who had worked a lot, young writers and artists who had worked a lot over at DC come in and they're like we're gonna relaunch the X-Men we're gonna get a, we're gonna bring you a whole new team and we are gonna make this an X-Men team for the 1970s. And Len Wein, he was a writer for Marvel and DC. He created characters like Swamp Thing, Wolverine, um, Batman's tech advisor, Lucius Fox, all sorts of characters like that. He is a writer who, he's very talented. I like a lot of his things, but I feel like his creations often get reworked and rewritten by other writers and artists and become so much more better so much so much better because like Alan Moore takes over swamp thing in the 80s gives us a masterpiece of like horror comics um, Wolverine gets passed around with tons and tons of writers and artists who bo- who all bring their own takes on the character and he's a very he very ha- he has great ideas but then other writers come in and Im- improve on them even more like George Lucas.
1: In what way? <laughs> okay, so, tiny little Star Wars rant. Oh, no. Um, I think George Lucas had great ideas. Oh, George oh. Lucas had great world building, but my god, he had no clue what to do with plots. Like, oh. there's a reason that Clone Wars gets held up so in high regard. It's because they just took all George Lucas's shit and wrote their own
0: story. <laughs> yeah, Dave Filoni and his cowboy hat come in and give us Clone Wars, <laughs> The Mandalorian all these other things that are just unique takes on this world with that give us so much that give us way better takes on the characters and do unique stories to tell.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. um, Yeah. That's what I meant. It sounds like,
0: um, what's the name of, um, ween Len ween. Yes. Len ween when was doing the same thing over here. Yeah. And then Cockrum is the artist behind giant size X-Men And he had a sketch of Nightcrawler for years. He had this character in his mind for the longest time. And um, he was stationed in uh, Guam at a U.S. military base back in the 1960s. And I have this quote from him right here. I sat up one night in the middle of a typhoon because it was too noisy to sleep. So I stayed up and thought up this character. Originally, Nightcrawler was a demon from hell who had flubbed a mission, and rather than go back and face punishment, he decided to stay up here in the human world. So, even, like, back way before his creation, like, I think the Christian imagery connection was always there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Nightcrawler is really interesting when it comes to Christian imagery, because Marvel as a whole, they don't avoid religion, but they don't really go out of their way to bring religion in. Um, but Nightcrawler is very specifically, very staunchly Catholic.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Like, there are even storylines, I don't know how far they get followed, where Nightcrawler is um, is a priest.
0: Yeah, throughout the continuity, his, con- his Catholicism is mentioned a lot. He is a working priest at points. He becomes the Pope, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, like in the a 90s cartoon,
1: they introduce him because he's um, currently a monk. Oh, Like, when the cartoons are... Yeah, like, he's a monk.
0: Yeah, he is... Catholicism and Nightcrawler are so, like, intrinsically related. And I think that says a lot about, like, this character who... He was originally supposed to be this demon. Just a straight-up demon before becoming this human with a demonic mutation.
1: And, like... It's then taking, like, it's not just like, oh, this is, it's weird because, like, you could totally make that, like, a commentary on the Catholic Church, but instead what they, the way, what they do with it is they give Nightcrawler a very strong, very, like, person-centric faith of, like, I'm here to do God's will, and God's will is, like, the, the care of mankind.
0: Absolutely. It's, very, it's a very interesting character arc throughout his almost five decades of existence in comics.
1: Yeah, I, like, I just remember a moment from, like, the cartoon, like, the 90s one, when they first introduced Nightcrawler, and, like, Wolverine, like, straight up says, there, like, there's no God, and if there is, he abandoned mutants.
0: Oh, jeez. And
1: a... the rest of the episode is Nightcrawler just by, like, action, like, action indeed, D, like, proving, no, like, there is a place for God in
0: this world. It's such an interesting character trait that I don't think a lot of, like, other mutants get something like that. They, Many other X-Men characters and related mutants, they get very interesting character traits uh, that really make them unique characters, but I don't think I've seen any other character get such a connection to the Christian faith like Kurt does.
1: Right, right. And the fact that they they may have so specific, like... They, like, they're always very clear about what Kurt believes.
0: Absolutely. He... I did a lot of reading and a lot of research for this episode, and his faith gets brought up all the time, and he is constantly sharing his values with others and sharing his beliefs in some very cathartic and therapeutic conversations. He gets... He is really the therapist friend of the X-Men for a while, but in the best way possible because he always has, like, the best life advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I like about him.
0: Yeah, it's great. And I want to talk about his first appearance in Giant Size X-Men for a second. He doesn't get much to do in this issue because it has to introduce this whole team of, like, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Sunfire, Thunderbird, Banshee, and then Kurt. He is he gets a couple of pages to himself where he gets recruited by Charles Xavier to join his new team of X-Men. And in these panels, um, it's in a village in Bavaria in Germany, and it is a very, like, old-timey, like, village, and Kurt is introduced being chased by a literal angry mob with torches and pitchforks. So he is really set up as, like, the new monstrous member of the team, Because all the other mutants that are introduced here, they're very much, like, human, and their mutations are very cosmetic or just powers manifesting.
1: Right, like, you can't tell they're mutants just by looking at them.
0: Exactly. Kurt is one of the first few mutants that are introduced that actually has a physical change to him. Um, Beast, Beast was introduced before him... But...
1: Well, did, at, at this point, though, because this is still, like... This is late 60s, early 70s? Uh, 75. 75. Okay, so at this point, is Beast blue yet?
0: Uh, yes, he is. He was... Okay. Beast is nowhere to be found in this issue because he grew his blue fur and then fucked off and joined the Avengers at this point.
1: Yeah, that tracks.
0: Yeah. It, Hank McCoy is a whole nother story. We don't need to talk about him right now. Um... But, so he gets introduced being chased by an angry mob, and fights them off, and then Charles Xavier is like, I want you to join my team of X-Men to help your fellow mutants. And Kurt's like, what if I just want to be normal? What if I just want to be Kurt Wagner, and not Nightcrawler? So it sets him up as a very introspective type character, who is, he's very unhappy with his current state and with his mutation
1: right because like it's literally keeping him from living his life like that gang chasping in your mob like they keep coming back to that origin story and other stuff like when they like reintroduce him like yeah they, they never try to like retrofit or like or like write that out
0: it i think this is a part of his story that is very relatable to a lot of people like the just wanting to be normal there is a lot of there are a lot of people who have traits about them that they wish could just go away and my, myself in particular like when I was first diagnosed on the autism spectrum like that was a huge blow to me and I was like I don't want this I just want to be normal and I think Kurt as a character deals with that a lot and then He eventually learns to grow and accept his mutation, his powers for, accept these things as part of what makes him himself. And I think it is very cathartic to be reading stories about this character and learning to accept all the parts of yourself that make you the best person you can be.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. And they don't shy away from like acknowledging, hey, this is hard, this takes time, this takes effort. And like, they don't even shy away from like, giving him like a crutch. Like, they give him a, like, I don't know when they introduce it, but a lot of Nightcrawler, like, media with Nightcrawler, he has an image inducer, something to like, let him look human. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see like, how that gets used, um, how it gets phased out. Absolutely. Like, and I remember reading like, a blur but like a half of a comic again that likes to be like oh I'll just read this random issue where they're literally like using the image and just sort of play pranks on each other and it's funny like at that point it's funny it's not an invasion on Kurt's like privacy or, or his um, personhood like that's his relationship with it at that point yeah he
0: is as the years go on he fully accepts all of this stuff and it becomes extremely important to him be and i think that is a very interesting take that you could have gone with this character you could have made you could have just made him like self-loathing and hating everything about himself but he grows and it takes time but he learns to accept all of this yeah yeah um he is on the X-Men team the main uncanny X-Men team for the for a for a very long time, he is there for most of Chris Claremont's run. After he takes over for Ween and Cockrum, um, I'm I'm sorry, Chris. He is on he is on Claremont's run after Cockrum joins Chris Claremont to basically bring the Uncanny X Men into the '80s. And Kurt is present for, like, all of the big, important stories that are going on at that point. He's there for the Dark Phoenix Saga, he's there for Days of Future Past, he's there for a lot of Claremont's run, and then he goes and joins Excalibur, which is also written by Chris Claremont, which is this weird, sort of related to the X-Men team, that deals with a lot of British mythology and a lot of extra-dimensional stuff, And I tried to do a ton of research about Excalibur. It was a lot. I don't. I have a friend who is a big fan of uh, Psylocke, Betsy Braddock, and Psylocke's brother is Brian Braddock, who is Captain Britain for a lot of the (laughs) continuity. And there is so much How many
1: captains are there? There's a lot of
0: captains.
1: Does every how does every country have its own captain? Is well, this a okay. thing?
0: Is this okay. a thing? Because so, I've heard of Captain Canada too. Well, Captain Canada is more is more of a joke. The Canadian superhero team actually is Alpha Flight, with um oh, why am I blanking on his name? Why am I blanking on the Canadian Captain America's name right now? Um I'll figure this out later. Um, He's just some Mountie, like any, like, this is my bet, you can, like, he's just some random
1: Mountie, like, every week it's a different one.
0: (laughs) You, 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 you joke,
1: but his, like... Is there a Mountie on the fucking team?
0: Well, his costume is, like, a white, like, unitard jumpsuit sort of thing, with, like, the red maple leaf, like, covering his body, and it is extremely Canadian... Um, they deal, they work a lot with Wolverine because Canadians gotta stick together. Um, but there's also a character named Sasquatch on that team, which is what you think it is. But then nice. there's also there's also like the Red Guardian who is like the Russian Captain America. And like that is a more straightforward Russian super soldier serum, Soviet Union Captain America sort of thing. But then right. Captain, Captain Britain... The little I know about Captain Britain is, um, there is a multi, there's a multiversal team of Captain Britons, and from all different realities, and they're like the Captain Britain core, and I don't know what their goal is, I don't know, I, this is a part of comics that I know nothing about because for the longest time it was relegated to Marvel's UK publishing titles, and which oh, okay, specifically okay. Captain Britain was like the flagship over there. But it gets a lot into like extra-dimensional stuff and the multiverse and I Well, that makes perfect sense to put um Nightcrawler on that team then. Like this yeah. whole
1: thing, like his like we've talked a lot about his appearance, but like I know you mentioned it at the top of the episode, but I'll bring up again his um his actual powers is he's a teleporter.
0: Yeah. It feels it from what I was able to parse it seems great that he is on this team and that he is eventually named the leader of Excalibur. And it's his first time with like any real leadership because it was always like Cyclops in charge of the X-Men for the longest time. And then- Ick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Should we just go out and say it? Um, Fuck Scott Summers
1: and- Yeah, fuck Scott Summers. Um... Um, Well, fuck Scott Summers. Scott Scummers.
0: Woo. Scott Scummers. Oh, oh, <laughs> we are pointing that. Hey, um, everyone call him Scott Scummers from now on. We're gonna get well, this. you.
1: You can call him. You can call him Scott Summers after
0: 2019. Yes. Okay.
1: Before that, Scummers. Yes. X Men Evolution, Scummers.
0: Scott, um, take splits the X Men in two. Becomes a radical mutant, um, freedom fighter, um completely um changes up his look and alienates all his friends that's scummers
1: see what i disliked about scott the most about cyclops the most wasn't even okay that stuff's bad i just uh, he's really bad at being a boyfriend and husband and everything i've read like he spends all this time being jealous and moody and whiny whenever gene like acknowledges other men exist but the second gene is dead he starts like he like instantly
0: starts sleeping with emma frost like emma frost no yeah madeline pryor all the madeline pryor the clone of gene gray i believe is yeah yeah
1: like anyway scott scummers zero out of ten nightcrawler 10
0: out of 10 yes 10 out of 10 um not a not jealous
1: loves everyone
0: not at all loves everyone has very stable relationships.
1: He does, though. Like that's one of the things I've noticed about Nightcrawler is all of his friendships and relationships. He is such an open, loving, kind person. Like that's core to him. Absolutely. Like he's like the like the friendships he has with other X Men are like so iconic. He's got nicknames. They like, they can like joke around. They come to him for help. For like like to listen to. Yeah. Like his relationship with Wolverine, his relationship with Kitty Pride. Absolutely. Um, Shadow Cat slash Sprite, whatever um whatever she has at any given
0: point. My favorite mutant. <laughs> um honestly, um, Queen. Uh there is a I, I'm gonna I, I wanna go off on this because there is I have stuff in my notes about this. Um uh Jason Aaron's um I can't remember when this was published, I believe 2014, 2015, Um, Jason Aaron's series Amazing X-Men. The first whole arc is about this team of X-Men, which includes, um, Logan, uh, Storm, Beast, Iceman, um, Northstar, and Firestar, I believe. Um, they- (laughs) Firestar. Yes, Firestar. Um, she was- yeah, she's a mutant that's not really affiliated with the X-Men, but-
1: Well, I know her from, um, did you ever see- it's another, like, old, like, 70s cartoon, um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Spider-Man and
0: his amazing friends.
1: Where I don't even know what the point of it was. It's just Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and then two mutants. Yeah. It's
0: Iceman and Firestar. Yeah, it's it's very they mention it in Amazing X-Men. There is Oh my god. There is multiple like times that show like Bobby and Angelica have like a history with working with Spider-Man in the past. It's, very, it's
1: so <laughs> it's so funny, it's like, I can't even, I don't, what was going on behind the scenes that they're like, this This is the direction we're going to move with Spider-Man, we're going to throw some mutants at him. And
0: <laughs> Merchandising. It all comes back to capitalism. This was the, this was the common through line of the last episode, it all comes back. Mm. But... That's sweet, sweet marketing. You have sweet, sweet toy money. Um, sweet, sweet toy money. <laughs> but, um... Amazing X-Men, it's about this team getting sucked into heaven to <laughs> basically, um, because Kurt is dead at this point. He is dead and goes to the Christian heaven.
1: Yeah, didn't he, like, he was one of the characters to stay dead the longest in Marvel at, at the time, right? He's He
0: stayed dead for a good, like, five, six years, I think? Yeah, like, that's a long time for a superhero. And I want to talk about his death for a second because it's kind of one of the most gratuitous ways to kill a teleporter oh god I, I actually
1: have I knew he did die for a while and that like he canonically went to heaven yeah because of course he did he better have he, he, um yeah. yeah
0: but I have no clue how he died um um uh, I can't remember the context of it but it is a he is fighting a like a a an Android I believe. And the android has, like, extendable limbs and, like, extremely powerful bones. And he extends his arm into the space where he knows Kurt is going to teleport.
1: Oh, actually, I have heard about this.
0: It's It's horrifying. It's brutal. And basically mortally wounds him to the point where he has one last, like, chance to use his powers. He takes Hope Summers and brings her to safety and then he dies and it is brutal horrifying yeah it is it is crazy and but yes he does die and go to heaven and what happens in heaven is he's basically like he does not feel the whole arc of amazing x-men is he does not feel like he truly belongs there yet he feels like he still has a lot of unfinished business on the mortal plane and he is just longing for a chance to get back down there and he gets that chance when his father who is in hell Azazel the red <laughs> teleporter that also that looks even more demonic than kurt no, um, we got
1: to talk about Kurt's parents like that. Like I'm like, I'm putting this on the roster. We're talking about Kurt's parents next. Yes.
0: yes. We will. We will talk about Kurt's parents after this. Um, after but... a few short messages. <laughs> we don't have ads yet. Uh,
1: uh, sweet, sweet, sweet marketing, sweet, yep. sweet toy money. Exactly. We'll get toys.
0: We'll, we'll make yeah. action figures of ourselves. Would you buy
1: an action figure of yourself?
0: Genuine, genuine question. Yes, I would. Would you?
1: I would buy a pop figure of myself. See, I which don't, I know is like a thing. Like I know they're like Funko
0: Pop, like make your you, own yeah. vending machines.
1: But like I an action, I fi- don't sure if I would do an action figure.
0: I don't like pop figures. That is that is my take. That is my stance on it. They only look good when they are animals. I say, looking at my lion cat from Saga pop figure, that's right <laughs> off camera.
1: He, he, he. I like pop figures. I like getting ones that, like, have some sort of emotional significance to me. Absolutely. Yeah. So, of course, like, my my pop figure, I have, like, Data from Star Trek, Bobby Singer from Supernatural. Yes. Um, Oogie Boogie from, like, from Number Four Christmas.
0: Yes. But, so, what happens is, Kurt's father, Azazel, he is in hell. He rounds up a crew of hell pirates to sail into heaven and try and steal all the souls that are in heaven. And so Kurt uses his little friends, the Banffs, which we will also get to in a second to open a portal to heaven, to bring in this team of X-Men and basically stop his father from ruining all of the afterlife. And what I was trying to get to this is um, there are scenes for beasts, Storm and Logan, in this book, that are that are flashbacks, but also demonstrations of their clo- extremely close relationships with Kurt. And you see it in so many different ways. Um, Beast and Kurt stay stay in while everyone else goes on a night out to like do like what, what was it in my notes? They do um, oh yeah, they do something called obstacle chess. So it's just um Hank throwing, strategically throwing a bunch of things into the air while Kurt teleports around and just, it is a beautiful- And playing sc- chess? Or is, it, or is that the chess? That is the chess. That, <laughs> is, that is the chess and it is a beautiful scene of like the X-Men trading and these two friends just having the best time. And then you have a scene where, um, Kurt and Storm, um, they are- on the roof of the Xavier Mansion and um, they are wrestling with their place in the team and both of them are considering leaving and they are really unsure of what their stance is with the X-Men at the time and you see a bit of a romantic relationship that didn't work out because the both of them weren't in the right place at the time. But then with With Logan, you get the classic scene of Kurt and Logan in a bar, getting plastered, and discussing the nature of death. Of course you do. Of course you do.
1: Like I love because this comes up all the time, like in like X like X Men media. Is that's kind of just what Logan and Kurt do? Is they drink? Like we have a Canadian
0: and and a German. We're just gonna drink. Yeah, it's the perfect friendship. You get drunk and you discuss the afterlife and death and I think their friendship is probably my favorite relationship in all of comics because of well you've got two very different characters this angry stubborn Canadian who has lived for so long and and will live for so long yeah, and basically can never die and then you have the devout Catholic who believes in an afterlife and... And, like, a good God so strongly. Exactly.
1: Like, like I brought up before with the cartoon, like, the first time they meet in that cartoon, like, that's how it is every... Like, whatever, they're together.
0: You have a they man... They care about each
1: other, but... They care about each other through absolutely not believing the same things at all.
0: Exactly. And it is a very... It is just one of the best platonic friendships in comics. And it is just the, it, it's my favorite relationship of all of these characters.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's something we're like deprived of with the X-Men sometimes is is positive male friendship. Yeah. Oh, Because a lot of the men are very antagonistic toward each other a lot of men are very isolated from the other men and one of the other like iconic male friendships in um x-men is relationship between charles xavier and um eric Lenscher, magneto Mm -hmm. and that is not an example of a positive male relationship though they hate each other they hate each other they are best friends they hate each other (laughs) they love being right more than they love each other exactly and that's going to kill any friendship
0: (laughs) yes that is that is exactly how their relationship is, but with Kurt and Logan, that's not it. They, yeah, they love each other more than they love being right. Yes, and they love the world. Yes. And there is a very, I didn't get the chance to read this, but I read a synopsis of it. There is a single issue of of, Wolf, of Wolverine from like, I believe like 2014, um, but it is after Kurt is dead. And it is Logan accomplishing, like, one of the last te- the last things Kurt ever wanted, wanted from him that is stated explicitly in his will. And it is to deliver a grand piano to a church in Venezuela. And it is a very—that is a very interesting concept, because it touches on everything you want with these two characters— like, they're both, they differing stances on religion and death and the afterlife, and just how far they'll go to help each other and make sure the other is at peace.
1: Right, right. Like, well, it's really crossing the world for Kurt. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Speaking of relationships, let's talk about Kurt's
1: parents. Oh, God, let's talk about Kurt's parents. This well, is something I know a good chunk about. Ah, yeah. This and because I just kept reading and reading on this, like, not recently, but... At like my height of like, I'm going to be a, to be a comics person and then failed at that. But, <laughs> uh, do, but, you um, wanna,
0: do you want to take the lead on this then? Yeah,
1: sure. So Kurt's parents are a mutant named Mystique and a mutant named um, Azazel. Mm-hmm. Um, so Azazel is very similar to Kurt in appearance, except he is red, um, whereas Kurt is blue. Mystique is blue. Um, she is a shapeshifter. Um, she is regularly aligned with Magneto. Um, but at this point, she is like when Kurt is like conceived, she is um, posing as a um, as a human woman to marry a very old um, like barbarian um, nobleman. So I don't even, I don't know if he's a nobleman. He might just be very rich.
0: Yeah, uh, something like that. I think.
1: Yeah, but while while she's doing that, she um, has an affair with Azazel, conceives Kurt, and then has to like flee like flee the country when Kurt is born yep. because not only does she shapeshift back into her natural form of being a, bl- um, a blue skinned re- um, like red haired, yellow eyed woman, mm-hmm. but now she has a demon baby <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing, like some, like Azazel is a mutant technically, but he like aligns himself with like hell capital H mm-hmm. like he, like he leans. He's like, I, I guess this is how this works yeah and
0: yeah it's a very interesting dynamic because azazel is probably one of the most recurring antagonists for Kurt is explicitly and Kurt's story and right because he's here with like he like there's no like
1: heaven doesn't matter only thing that matters is power and what you want in life like he has Kurt like he has children at all with the entity like, okay, I'm going to use my children to tether me to Earth, to, like, the mortal dimension Mm -hmm. so that I can teleport back here in the future.
0: Yes. And it is a very interesting way that Kurt finally gets his catharsis. Um, In Amazing X-Men, in this series by Jason Aaron, how Azazel and his Hell Pirates are defeated and how Kurt is returned to the mortal plane is he bonds his soul he, he bonds a soul to his body, basically damning Kurt and never letting him get back into heaven, but giving him a new chance at life on the mortal plane. The, the whole the whole like through line of this story is like the story of how Kurt Wagner fell back to earth is how it is presented. And it is a very interesting take for like a Catholic, who knows that he'll never be able to get back to paradise, to heaven.
1: Yeah, but like he loses that doing one of the most like selfless things he could ever do. Like Absolutely. Like he doesn't do, like he's done nothing wrong. He's done absolutely everything right mm-hmm. to like, to a heroic degree. Yeah. include
0: like Including giving up his salvation
1: to save every other soul in heaven.
0: It is a very like it is the most selfless sacrifice a character could do especially a character like kurt and amazing x-men will get its own episode this is one of my new favorite x-men books that i read in like the past couple of months it is just great the dynamics are great it's set in the time when wolverine was in charge of the school so you Good. So you get a lot of Wolverine taking being like, Hey, why can't I take kids on field trips to go watch samurai movies? And then Storm just <laughs> and then Storm just being like, You are the headmaster that that is not a field trip that is hooky. <laughs> and it is it is my favorite, like, era of Logan specifically. Maybe not of the X Men because this was peak scummers, but <laughs> It was just a fun time. It is a fun time with some really powerful scenes and writing that understands these characters so well. Yeah,
1: you gotta love it. You gotta love it when, like, a writer gets a hold of a character and they really get it.
0: Yeah, but another excellent time for Kurt was when one of his original creators got the chance to write him again in a 1985 miniseries written and penciled by Dave Cockrum, the original creator of Nightcrawler. And it is this fun, swashbuckling, interdimensional pirate adventure. Yes, I was wondering when we were going to get to this. I like to pirate Kurt. Yes, we can talk about pirate Kurt now.
1: Pirate Kurt! Sword Kurt!
0: This is one of the... This is one of the... Traits that gets introduced later on with Kurt that he is a fan of like pirate movies, pirate media, swashbuckling stuff. Errol Flynn. He eventually. Wait, starts... do they like
1: specifically say Errol Flynn? Yes, he does. Or, like, mention, he,
0: was... he does mention Errol Flynn a couple of times. Oh hell yeah! I'm telling my husband this. He Good. loves Errol Flynn. <laughs> Good. But you, when you get to see Kurt with a sword, that is when you really ex- realize the extent of how extremely powerful he is, because not only is he super agile and can teleport, but he's also really good with a blade. Like it's it's amazing, like I've it's just amazing. Also like
1: it's not just that he's good at it, it is the joy he has in doing this. Yes. Like every every single comic cartoon piece of media where you give Kurt, a, Kurt Wagner a sword they ever I don't know how everyone manages to draw it the exact same, how every actor shows it the exact same, but he does this smirk, and it's like, oh,
0: that's who you are. That, that is my biggest disappointment with the two portrayals of Kurt in the X-Men movies, that as cool as the teleportation looks, as cool as like teleporting with hand-to-hand looks, they never give Kurt a sword, and they never get the chance to do all this cool swashbuckling shit. Yeah, and like he—that's oh, so core to who
1: he is. Like, there are a couple of things where, like, you know, like everyone has those things. Where, like, hey, you have like your like Curtis thing. Like, if someone mentions this, your eyes light up and like you're your most alive. Curtis swords, yes. Jesus
0: and swords, exactly. <laughs> and I just want to say something. Perfect man. Perfect man. <laughs> Do you understand how much, how better X, because I like X2. I like the second X-Men movie specifically because Kurt is there. I don't like a lot of the stuff surrounding its creation. I don't like the director, but. I, I have, okay, sorry. You finish your thought. I'll, yeah, I quit my turn. But, (laughs) (laughs) but why didn't they give Alan Cumming a sword? You know Alan Cumming would know what to do with a sword. Yes, he would. He would know what to do with a sword. That man deserves a sword. Give Alan Cumming a sword. Um, Hey,
1: Disney, 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 Disney. If you want to redo X-Men, just give
0: Nightcrawler a sword. Better yet, give him three swords. Give him as many swords. Two for his hands, one for his tail. That is the greatest imagery in all of comics. Kurt with like three fucking swords just slashing away and teleporting around
1: absolute king
0: absolute king it's great and what were you saying about yeah.
1: x2 what i was gonna say about x2 um i think you actually have something about this in your notes not only about x2 in particular but just like okay so we've talked a lot about like relig- like religion in kurt and catholicism in kurt um it is so funny to me that there are so many writers who literally like didn't take a step out of their way to like learn a single thing about Catholicism. Like it is so central to um, to Nightcrawler's character that he is Catholic, and like people just did not like blinders. They're like Catholic, yeah, that's kind of like evangelical, like fundamentalism, right? <laughs> and then did their own thing. Like there's a thing, cause, cause um in X two, where. <laughs> They um Storm asks Nightcrawler about these tattoos he has. He has these like stick and poke like um scarification um tattoos all over his body in X2. Yes. And he says, Oh, I have one for every sin. And I'm like, why don't you just go to confession, my guy? You, my guy. Your, your him... religion has a whole has a whole like system for that.
0: Oh my god. <laughs> well, if we're gonna if talk I... yeah. if, if we're gonna <laughs> talk about bad portrayals of Nightcrawler, um I do want to talk about the Cockrum series eventually, but I want to talk about one storyline in particular. Um, It is a a Chuck Austin pen story. Um, Chuck Austin, uh, not a great writer, um, in my personal opinion, but it is a story that has been memed so many times, and there is discourse surrounding it everywhere. It's the time they made Nightcrawler the Pope. But more specifically, the time they brainwashed Nightcrawler into thinking he was always a Catholic priest, into thinking that he was a cardinal of the Catholic Church, Um, kill the Pope, rig the papal election, make Kurt the Pope, and play off of everybody's fears that, oh, not only is this Pope a mutant, but he also has a demonic appearance. And that was the bullshit plan behind the Church of Humanity, a group a group created for this story and it hadn't, hasn't been used since.
1: You've been like, okay, so behind the scenes, um, Jackson has been actively refusing to talk to me about this. He'll, he's just been hinting at it like, oh, we're going to talk about night crawl, Pope
0: Nightcrawler. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean. The a story where he gets just... brainwashed into thinking he's the Pope. And then they try to simulate the rapture using exploding communion wa- wafers.
1: Yeah, and let's talk about that real quick. Just um, point of fact, base point of fact that you can find by googling, by asking any Catholic, um, any Catholic ever. Cath- um, Catholics don't believe in the rapture. Like, like the Pope is a Roman Catholic, and he does not believe in the rapture. That's it. That that that, that that's the whole statement. And, and and you can you can you can Google this, you can ask any Catholic, you can scroll through the Vatican like website, like it, it's not hard to find. I I was it is ra- not hard to find. I was raised which is why Luther- it's so funny
0: to me. Yeah, I was raised Lutheran and I um I don't really go to church that much anymore, but um tell tell me, do they do the communion wafers in Catholic churches explode and cause people to disintegrate?
1: They, in fact, do not explode. They, they, they are communion wafers.
0: <laughs> it's just such, like, a, an insane detail that, like... I, I Okay, as someone who
1: hasn't read this, I might have to read this, because I just want to understand, because here's what you're saying to me. They simulate the rapture by having communion wafers explode, and when they explode, the person disintegrates. Yes,
0: it is not a well-thought-out story.
1: I... <laughs> Am I, I just? Am I? Do I? Like, I don't. I don't believe in the. Do I just misunderstand what the rapture is? Like, isn't the rapture a thing where like you go like body at all up to heaven if you're good, and you stay on earth if you're? Why are people disintegrating? Like, like I don't believe in the rapture, so like maybe I'm missing something here. Why are people disintegrating? I
0: don't know. I don't know at all. This is another example of writers not understanding what is core to. Not only Kurt as a character, but to just Catholicism as a whole. At this point we're talking
1: about Christianity, like even wider scope. Yeah. Like we <laughs> Sir? This there... is what? Hey Chuck? Hey Chuck? Hey Mr.
0: Austin? Hey Miss. like um yeah, um no, um how? Like what your what year was this written? Um let me I have it in my notes. Um it is uncanny X-Men four twenty four. <laughs> Written by Chuck Austin in the year 2003. 2003. Yep. I'm so tired. (laughs) Oh, I forgot forgot to mention the other part about this. Um, you want, so they, so I forgot to mention in Kurt's origin, he has a, he runs away from the circus at at, at a young age. And oh yeah, quick
1: uh, quick side note that we haven't actually mentioned that yet. Um, so, before we're talking about his parents, so Mystique immediately abandons Kurt. In some versions, she, she, she throws him into a river. Yep. Um, regardless of how he gets there, though, he does get adopted by traveling performers. Yes,
0: and eventually he meets a priest named Father Whitney. And... Um, It is—and, like, that is one of the stable relationships young Kurt has with this priest, and that's really what gets him following Catholicism and basically making that the core of his character. In this storyline, um, it is revealed that Father Whitney is a member of the Church of Humanity and has always been a member of the Church of Humanity— and is the one to brainwash Kurt. So Why? <laughs> they really just <laughs> fucked over his whole deal with this story. Does Kurt get like unbrainwashed by the end? Or yes, do they he just does. leave him like that? Yes, okay, he does. okay. He does. Thankfully, yes. Um. Fuck Chuck Austin, but back to Nightcrawler solo series. It is a very swashbuckling pirate interdimensional adventure. Um Basically, um, Kurt, Kitty Pride and um, Magic, Iliana Rasputin, um, Colossus's younger sister, they are like left alone at the X Mansion while everyone else fucks off and does something else. And they are fooling around in the, da- in the danger room. and somehow, um, Kitty and Iliana Ilya- Ily- um, summon a something called the Well of time and it pulls Kurt and Kitty's Dragon Lockheed into it and Kurt is sent to another dimension full of floating sky islands and alien space pirates and beautiful he it is revealed that he was sent here by a character named Shagreen the Sorcerer who is a humanoid shark wizard and is one of the funniest looking characters i have ever seen he is just he is a shark with like a human body, shark head, rows of teeth. He he looks like an 80s like He-Man and sort of villain.
1: Uh that's I'm okay. I I'm pick, what I'm picturing in my head is just King Shark
0: in a wizard robe. It's like King Shark but not as bulky. Is it is okay. exactly. It is like it is a very like gaunt shark. A slender king shark. Got it. Yes, that's. Or is everyone picturing that? Uh, audience, are you all picturing a slender king shark? King shark, but he's a runner.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but basically, Kurt hops around a couple of this this other dimension for a while. Gets caught up with some pirates, and he's like, "Oh shit! This is the coolest thing! This is the coolest thing ever! I get to find! I get to swashbuckle again!" And then it's revealed that the pirates he's joined up with are the bad guys. And they are like, they are just, they attack like a merchant ship. And Kurt's like, oh, oh no, this is bad. (laughs) I'm in danger. (laughs) And eventually um, he saves an alien princess. um, uh, And then like, but right as they're about to like, do, do, Right as there, right as Kurt and the alien print, princess are are about to um, celebrate the princess's safety, um, he... celebrate. I know you can't hear air quotes, but celebrate. Uh, Kurt is pulled into another dimension, and this is a dimension where, basically, in a previous issue of the Uncanny X Men, Kitty Pride tells Ilyana a bedtime story. And she casts all the other X Men as like weird fairy tale versions of themselves, but not like full on fairy tale, just like weird versions for a bedtime story. And Kirk gets pulled into that dimension. And so he meets Amazing. himself, who is referred to as Banff in that dimension, who is this small, like pocket sized nightcrawler, very small has all the same abilities, but is just a mischief maker. And it is then <laughs> revealed that there are a ton of other BAMFs and they all call Kurt Daddy.
1: <laughs> I think the image of this is way worse than yeah. what it actually is. We should also specify the BAMFs are very cartoony compared yes. to whatever else are being compared against. Uh-huh. They're like
0: Chibis. Like It's it's Chibi Night it's Chibi Nightcrawler. It is Yeah that is exactly what it is and um it's they are very cute they are very innocent uh but they can pack a punch and kurt and the bamfs and other versions of his friends including a cartoon tasmanian devil style wolverine um go stop the shark wizard and get kurt back home and it beautiful it is such a fun story and i've I read this whole, all digitally, but I'm trying to find a physical copy because, like, this is a story, like, I wouldn't mind reading again and re- having a physical version of because it's so fun. And you really can tell that Dave Cockrum has been working with this character for years, knows every single thing about the character, and knows what to do to make the readers really enjoy it.
1: Right, right. It sounds like it really gets, gets how much Kurt loves life. Cause we've talked about some like heavy stuff here about like his, like his struggling with like his mutation, about getting brainwashed, about deep religious themes, dying, stopping his father. But Kurt really does love being alive.
0: Absolutely.
1: And that's, and that's really nice to see. Cause some of these like superhero stories can get very gritty and dark and you see people who are just like struggling to want to keep living in this world. And Kurt never seems to have that problem. Yeah, he always seems he always has so much joy in his heart, and that's very and that's really lovely.
0: It is a very it is a character that he loves his friends, he loves life, and he is not afraid to let you know that. Yeah,
1: he just has he has so much space in his heart, and that's really nice.
0: It is he's a character that you don't see a lot of in comics. Like there are, plenty... I think it's because it's
1: hard to make him gritty. Yeah. Like, that's the move right now, is to, to make gritty stories about gritty people. And
0: he, he's not gritty. Well, if we want to talk about Gritty Nightcrawler, this is something I hadn't planned to talk about. But um, in the period that Kurt was dead, like, the main 616 Kurt was dead, um, there was another Nightcrawler, another Kurt Wagner, from the Age of Apocalypse. Like, the dark, uh. alternate future where... Apocalypse kills Charles Xavier, basically turns the world into a dystopia. And you get a lot of crossover with some of the some characters from that universe. And one of them was um, Kurt. And this Kurt Wagner found himself at the center of one of the grittiest X-Men stories of the last couple of decades. Uh, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force, which was a team of Wolverine, um, Deadpool, Archangel, <laughs> Psylocke, and Phantom X—these like hired assassins, just doing the dirty work that the other X-Men cur- couldn't do. My God! Yeah, it is. It's a. It is a great. It is one of the best like X Force comics in like the last couple of decades. But it is gritty. It is violent. And this, they are paired with a Kurt that grew up in a world that is, like, devoid of any life or, like, all those qualities that we talked about that Kurt is known for, um, Have been destroyed. Exactly. And he is much more vicious than uh, the main 616 Kurt. And- you know, if you're gonna, if you have to pair him up with characters like Deadpool, like, you know it's gonna get violent. Right, right, but, like, it's not, a, it doesn't sound like it's about so much of the violence here is Kurt's relationship to the violence. Yeah, he, he is more desensitized, desensitized to it.
1: And that's, like, really not just, it's not something you see with Kurt, with Kurt, with Nightcrawler,
0: anywhere else. Yeah, it is a very interesting take on the character and you know i prefer the 616 kurt i think he is a character that is so many uh is, it means so much to so many people he he means a lot to me it means a lot to me yeah
1: he means a lot yeah like and that's one of the big reasons i like i like him is because because i like i like a good dark story i like a good gritty story and like a fuck like a, like wow you're pretty fucked up my dude like wolverine's amazing yeah i love seeing characters who live in these. Like this grit and this hardship and still on side wanting to live and wanting to care and able to care mm-hmm. so yeah like I think that would, like absolutely just I, I'm sure it's a good story I'm sure it's really cool like like I'm sure it's amazing like amazing to look at uh probably just absolutely like wreck me yeah to like Rita Kurt who who no longer
0: cares and that's that's the core of his character. He cares and he loves his friends and he loves
1: life. He loves life. And it's how quickly he makes space for, like, space for those friends and that life. Like we haven't talked about it a lot. We haven't talked about Kurt's family a ton, we talked about who his parents are, but like when Kurt eventually finds out, like every version like of the X-Men where Kurt finds out about, oh, hey, Mystique is your mother. He instantly makes space for her. Mm -hmm. Even though she's almost always 9 times out of 10 on the other side of an issue from him, he makes space for her. He's like, all right. This is my mother and I care about you and I love you and I will be here for you. Absolutely. I like I'm not going to let you, you know, do horrible things. But I like like you are my mother.
0: Yeah. That's that's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah, or he finally has like um that um Rogue. Um we actually haven't mentioned this yet that Rogue is his sister, like adopted oh. sister. Yeah. And instantly he's like, "All right, I'm going to like build this fam- like this familial um sibling relationship."
0: Like he knows how to make a family. Yes. And he knows how to maintain the, his chosen family. Yes. And that is a very beautiful thing. But you, dear listener, might be asking yourself, what is Kurt Wagner up to right now? Um, <laughs> the X-Men are in a strange new world for, for comics continuity at the moment. Since 2019, they have been living on the island of Krakoa as a mutant nation. And this is a this era is probably one of the most interesting eras of the x-men in general but probably one of the most interesting for kurt because of one specific thing under charles xavier's new order of krakoa mutants can't die if the body dies um charles copies their consciousness from cerebro and in, and has a group of five other mutants create a new body for that dead mutant and restores them to life instantly.
1: And this has already happened to Kurt um, at least once that we see um, yep. in the comic continuity since then. Yes. In, this um, is very fresh in my mind because I've read it for the first time in like the last week.
0: You just read House of X-Powers at 10. Yeah, yeah. So how do you... Do, do you how, how does a character... So intrinsically related to Catholicism and the concept of an afterlife deal with the fact that mutants, including himself, can't die anymore,
1: yeah, like I don't know if they've gone into it much in the ones since the ones I've read because I just read like you know, the first like story arc of this mm-hmm. new of this new setting. um, they don't touch on it. I was actually really surprised by that because, um. This is very central to Kurt, and what I would have expected was to get like jump right into that existentialism of what does it like the point of life if there is no death and no afterlife and no like, and like and there you're you're never going to have access to it anyway.
0: Something that I'm I'm assuming
1: they probably haven't established if Kurt can now go to heaven again since, but they've rebooted the timeline a couple of times since then, so probably. Um,
0: Sadly, Kurt has barely been around on Krakoa. In like the two years since the relaunch of the X Men, like he makes a couple appearances in House of X, Powers of Ten. He shows up for a little bit in uh, Jonathan Hickman's run on X Men, but from what I read, I've read he doesn't make that many appearances until um, 2021's Way of X, written by I believe Cy Spurrier, and this deals specifically with a concept that is introduced in. Uh, one of the first issues of Hickman's X-Men, that Kurt wants to start a mutant religion. And that because of all of this, he feels disconnected from both his identity as a Catholic and and his identity as a mutant. And the book Way of X explores that and how he really doesn't feel like he has a place at the moment.
1: Yeah, which is kind of wild because... I'm assuming at this point he's still on the council, like, that runs Krakoa. Uh,
0: I believe he is, yes.
1: Yeah, because there's the council of 12 people that run, that essentially they are the government of Krakoa. Um, And Kurt, it has one of those 12 seats. Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's weird because I feel like what they could do is just establish what Krakoa's relationship is with the Vatican as two independent micronations. Two people, yeah. Like, they could just do, like, it's so funny to be like, hey, they've, Essentially, as far as Kirk goes, as far as Nightcrawler goes, dropped all this into the current writer's laps of like, hey, um, just like have him reach out. I don't know, have him reach out to the Pope. you like, hey, can we establish the diocese of Krakoa? <laughs>
0: hey, I, wa- hey, I, I, I was in your shoes for a little bit. Can, can we? Can, can you give me a hookup? All I'm saying is, wouldn't you like to see
1: Pope Francis drawn in the style of
0: the X-Men? We already saw Kevin Feige. Like real world Kevin Feige interact with Cyclops this year, I
1: know. like you
0: can't. we can get Pope. we can get Pope Francis.
1: I know. like I, I, I see no problems with this. And, and like, it just seems so funny to me, like to throw out there, like, again, I don't know exactly how they're doing it, but like to throw out their, hey, new mutant religion instead of, hey, find a reunification between your mutantness and your and your cath and your catholicism
0: yeah it is that has been
1: so core to your character for the entire what 50 years Mm -hmm.
0: 60 years you've existed yeah um has from what i've read of way of x because this is something i only recently started reading um not they they touch on it a bit and like kurt is trying to use um uh, metaphysics to sort of like evaluate the three laws of Krakoa from his point of view and take it mm. more from a philosophical stance rather than a religious at the moment but most of the book is about the return of Onslaught and uh. we don't have time to talk about Onslaught uh, it is a just a concept that is interesting but and I like what they're doing what is doing with Onslaught in this book but I'd like to see more of Kurt, Kurt's introspection yeah, I was surprised, like,
1: yeah, I'd like to see more of that too, but I was already surprised they passed over Kurt uh, for making the Marauders, for yeah. making a literal, a literal mutant pirate team. They are literally mutant pirates, and Kurt is not affiliated with he, them. He's not all. there. And, Ka- and Kitty, who's now going by Kate, um, Kate Pride, is on that team. One of his best friends is in charge of that team, and Storm is also involved, and Kurt's no, Kurt is not involved. Yeah. Kurt's not there.
0: Pyro is there. They put Pyro on the They put team. Pyro on a boat. They put They put an, yeah, they put a fire mutant on a boat. They put the fire guy on the
1: boat.
0: do But they did not put the swordsman on the boat. They put the fire guy on water. Now, to be fair, um uh, the, the boat they are on is like a freighter.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not like a it's not like a wooden boat. It's not like, you know, a schooner or something yes, like it's
0: a uh, pyro cannot um burn his, burn the boat down, thankfully. Fortunately, (laughs) he would have if he could have. He would, um, but, yeah. And that's where Kurt is at right now, this strange point of introspection that caps off almost 50 years of a character who has opened his heart to the world, to his friends, and to... Humankind. He's at a crossroads of what's, what does caring going to look like now? Exactly. What comes next? What comes next? And we'll find out eventually, but today that is all for this week's episode of recommended reading with Jackson Heyman. I want to thank Beck for coming on. We are going to talk about the talk about more things again. Uh, Spoiler alert. We already have an episode planned on saga dropping in January. Ooh, But thank you, Beck, for coming. Um, Go check out the rest of Mythanomica stuff. Go listen to Soundbite. Um, I've performed in a couple of stuff. I'm writing some things. Um, We've got a lot of stuff cooking. Yeah, yeah. And remember, everyone, um, the name of the Canadian Captain America is Guardian. I just found this out right now. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.